Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the SciBeat Podcast, where your host, award-winning author and cybercrime journalist, Deb Radcliffe, interviews hackers, coders, intelligence experts, agents, officers, cybersecurity pros, and other interesting harbingers, heroes, and warriors. These conversations are sure to get you thinking. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Welcome. I'm Deb Radcliffe, host of SciBee. What keeps healthcare CISOs up at night? In this show, Errol Weiss, CSO of the Health ISAC, and Michael Bray, CISO at Vancouver Clinic, will share just that, having uh, joined us today for our show. But before we dive into questions, here's a little bit about each of our guests. Michael Bray is a big fan of my Breaking Backbones Hacker Trilogy. Thank you, Michael. More importantly, he's a wealth of information about business risk and patient privacy. And I've interviewed him for my CSO articles more than once. Uh, Vancouver Clinic is growing quickly. It operates out of 18 locations in the Clark County area of Washington State with over 2,200 employees and 400 clinicians. From our previous interviews, it's clear that Michael practices what he preaches around uh, embracing new tech like AI while connecting business leadership with cybersecurity, governance, and risk management. He's a sought-after speaker on such matters and is even up for a speaking award to be announced in April. Errol Weiss created and staffed Health ISAC's uh, Threat Operations Center in Orlando, Florida, which provides almost 900 health organizations around the world with meaningful and actionable threat intelligence. He is also one of four named inventors on the patent for trusted and anonymous information sharing, which I believe is highly appropriate given that's the uh, um, basically the charter of the ISAC. Uh, Errol also started at NSA conducting vulnerability and analysis of classified U.S. government systems, uh, which in my third book is represented as Psy helping the NSA ferret out backdoors installed in Chinese-made or assembled network equipment. It's good to have you both on board for this interview. Yeah, Great to be here, Deb. Thanks. Great. Okay. So my first question, my first two questions are going to be to Errol, actually. The first one's just a trivial question, but I'm wondering, since you volunteer at the McCrary Institute for Cyber and Critical Infrastructure Security, if you know Mark Sachs, he's a good friend of mine. I've had him on my show in the past, and he was a great help on both the power grid uh, attack and the military aspects of my cyber thriller series. Yeah, I've known Mark for a while. It's hard not to if uh, if you're involved with critical infrastructure. Um, you know, I'm sure in your previous interviews, hopefully he got a chance to show off some of his old uh, crypto gear. It's uh, pretty amazing. And if you ever hear a chance, if you ever have a chance to hear him talk about it, it's, uh, it's definitely a pretty fascinating conversation. That's cool. I heard it's worth a lot of money, but he's not going to sell it. <laughs> and then the what I'm hoping you can get us updated on what the health ISAC has been up to lately. It describes itself as a crowded sourced cybersecurity sector threat intel and best practices group for the healthcare sector in terms of intelligence. What are the biggest, most impactful vulnerabilities being reported? And can you share any examples, of course, with 
uh, anonymizing it so that you're not, you know, giving away any of your membership. Yeah, no, sure. We're happy to talk about it. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty neat, powerful network. I mean, with all the members that we've got globally, we've got we've got uh, access to about 10,000 plus um, security professionals globally. So we get quite a bit of information, as you can imagine. Uh, I'll, I'll start at the macro level, really. Uh, and looking back to the annual threat survey that we just wrapped up at the end of 2023, um, we had... Uh, uh, input from hundreds of healthcare, IT, and security professionals. And uh, the top threats that were identified from that survey were, uh, uh, number one was uh, phishing and spear phishing attacks. Number two was ransomware deployments. Number three, data breaches. Four was third-party and partner breaches. And five was social engineering. And what I would just say is, you know, just getting even more specific, you know, dealing with the threat level that um, discussions that we had literally a few days ago, what I would just also warn people about is that uh, the members today are dealing with things like popular, very popular VPN hardware that just has vulnerability after vulnerability. So what's been happening with that? Of course, uh, things like generative AI, um, you know, we're actually seeing right now deep fakes being deep fakes being used to perpetrate business email compromise fraud. You know, in fact, there was a recent example of this happening in Hong Kong um, not too long ago with a with an estimated twenty five million dollar loss. So, the, you know, the bad guys are already taking advantage of AI. A um, couple more, just a couple more examples. Um, one is this thing that we have now have a name for. Uh, called Telephone Oriented Attack Delivery, or TOAD. Um, I think it might be a new name. I hadn't heard much of it before. But the, but the idea here is that the bad guys are combining good old phone calls with and phishing emails. And so the example I would say, and you probably have seen these in your inbox, is you get a very short email with maybe a PDF attachment that looks like an invoice. And it says, hey, Deb, thanks for renewing your antivirus for $522. And all you see in the invoice is a phone number. And you call that phone number. And then it, you're, you're directly in touch with the bad guys. And they walk you through some hellacious, fraudulent scam. And they're very good at what they do. So that means um, they have access to your phone now and your email system. Well, usually what they will do is they will talk you through um, installing a remote access, uh, a legitimate remote access tool like uh, TeamViewer or PC Anywhere, put that on your system, and then you give access to your computer to the bad guys under the pretense of they're going to fix your computer for you. Okay. So yeah, yeah, all the rest is uh, an action for the reader. It's pretty bad. Wow. Um, but HR, HR and job scams are still on the rise, and we, we're, our institutional members are reporting quite a bit of that. And, of course, the last thing I'll just bring up is, uh, you know, we're being really hypervigilant about mis- and, and disinformation campaigns, especially here in the U.S. with the looming election happening in November. I would just suspect, you know, we're going to see campaigns like that just ramping up. Wow. And some of these are segues into either let ransomware in. I know the BEC scams are directly tied to the financial accounts, but mm -hmm. I'm looking at some of these as new ways to get people to click things to open up the network for ransomware. That's exactly right. Right. So, Michael, are you also seeing this in the threat landscape that you're sharing with your peers in the industry? We are. Errol, nice to see you. 
Um, and there are, you touched on some great stuff. We, we are. So um, it's crazy. It's wild west. And every time we say it's wild west, a year or two goes by and we're like, no, no, no that wasn't the wild west. Now we're in the wild west. So <laughs> worse, the right? generative AI scene is just incredible. It's exciting, but it's terrifying at the same time. Um, but we are seeing that. So I would say more targeting. Um, the the skill set level that was needed, you know, a couple of years ago is now out the window. You're you're basically a superhuman if you're taking advantage of the AI capabilities out there now. Um, so we're seeing that more targeted, more specific. The social engineering is pretty much almost tied into everything now uh, in layered approach. So you're getting we're seeing postal mail, text messages, email, phone calls. Um, so it's like a layered approach to really get that target, their guard down, um, to think something legitimate. So we're seeing way more of that. Um, the fine tuning of the attacks, both at the end user level. So we're seeing it from our, you know, from our patients level, what they're seeing impersonations of us or impersonations of people in the supply chain or impersonations of whoever through healthcare, uh, much more um uh, uh, much more uh, calculated in their approach and much more difficult to assess that it's fake. We're also seeing that on our staff internally, impersonations for HR, impersonations for management, um, impersonations from government entities. That is definitely trending in the wrong direction. So all the breaches that have been occurring um, with government agencies are able to use that information to impersonate the FBI, impersonate uh, health and human services, impersonate you know whoever, user groups, committees. We're noticing those trends too. Tend to conference, you're getting impersonations from that conference. We're also seeing a triple extortion, double extortion, triple extortion, where uh, the institution being targeted, um, the patients are getting targeted, the, the the employees are being targeted during the attack. So sometimes those are are what we're seeing trending, uh, and we're trying to avoid those at all cost. Is that extra pressure on an organization where they're dealing with a breach, but the threat actors calculated their approach to make sure we're going to target the patient or the customers or the staff at the same time to put that extra pressure on them to pay a ransom or. Uh, you know, take actions immediately to the benefit the threat actor. Wow, I haven't heard about the patient data being used immediately to immediately. expand the threat. Usually it goes on the dark web and we find out yeah. it's being abused months later. So we're, we're, we're seeing things like, and we follow OSNIT, so we have an OSIT program here, and we we, talk, we follow a, a health ISAC and lots of groups out there. And we're seeing things like sometimes it's $100. Give us $100. Here's a screenshot of your mental health notes. The institution didn't protect your security or didn't practice security practice, whatever they do to try to social engineer. If you mm -hmm. pay us now, we'll make we'll, re we'll remove your patient information from this list. It's going to go out in 48 which, hours. Which they don't. They don't. And so um, there's a lot of that going on that we're noticing trending through the healthcare uh, industry, unfortunately. Uh, Errol, yeah, you look like you... Pretty up. Oh, Good. I was going to give that. the floor to you. Okay. Go. Yeah, I was just going to add to what Michael was saying. I mean, the extortion there just really gets so ugly. And, and again, it just goes to how, um, you know, immoral uh, the, the threat actors are that we're dealing with. On the patient extortion piece, we've also seen them um, stealing uh, before and after photographs of uh, women who are going through reconstructive surgery following um, uh, breast cancer, for example. And, and just using those photos as part of their extortion uh, technique as well. And, and just, you know, stories just go on and on, unfortunately. It's just terrible stuff. Yeah. And, and what are they mostly after? Extortion or um, ransoms they're, they're after, or both? They're after, yeah, they're after money. It's yeah. all of it. Uh, the, the new one, it, I don't know how long this turns about. We're calling it, you know, it's basically chaos, right? Sometimes they just want to cause chaos and, and causing chaos can generate revenue for them sometimes. 
or their drivers might be politically motivated. They might be, you know, different motivations for them to cause harm against an organization or the target with the patients as well. We're also seeing the supply chain, Errol mentioned on that. So the BEC attacks, they, they're, they're terrible. If anybody doesn't know, business email compromises, typically the legacy was finance. It's not really finance anymore. They use them as a conduit because it's a trusted source. Often the organization will trust those email communications. So there's less inspection going on on those. So we've had government agencies compromised, you know, Clark, a county, let's say, or a state city department, use that person's email account to then target the real target, which could be the healthcare organization that way. And often, as Errol said, there won't be any malicious content in there. So it gets passed and gets delivered through inspection. And it's just social engineering. Please call me back at this number. There's an issue. There's something about your account. There's your credentials were stolen, you know, whatever it is. And try to get that target outside of the organization's network to social engineering, social engineer them even further. Wow. Wow. And why do you think healthcare has become such a target, especially for ransomware? It's like Errol said, you know, there is no more, there is, it's totally amoral. In the olden days, you know, I've been in this reporting stage for a long time. They had some ethics, they had a code and originally it was leave the hospitals alone. So what has shifted? I think some of it is definitely political. Some of it is trying to weaken our infrastructure, but what in both your minds has been the big shift and why healthcare? Well, I'm going to start that out. Go, go so let's look at the macro level, 100,000 foot, right? Look at, look, look at, so we got the cyberverse and the physical universe, right? Look at the physical mm -hmm. world universe, what's happening. We are seeing that, I've got some law enforcement background. We're seeing that disconnect and ability for humans to harm each other that are cross boundaries in the physical world, right? Mm -hmm. Why, why did you, why did you abuse an elderly couple in, in a home and kick their door in? And those things were just kind of off limits to, Sort of. We wanted to believe that that has just gone out the window lately in society. Unfortunately, cyberverse is 10 times out, 100 times out. We don't know. I can't wait to talk to sociologists down the road, maybe teach, you know, I semi retire, see how sociologists, psychologists are keeping up with us. But it is trending. So you have the institutional level, state sponsored, organized crime, all that stuff that it's it's fair game. They're just doing whatever they want. And then you've got the criminal mentality at the individual level that, hey, if I can, why can't I? They don't have that integrity. Maybe they're not they're in deep inside in the cyberverse. I'm not hurting somebody that bad. They have insurance. It's not that big a deal, whatever it is. They're not mapping the reality. I would say that young man, um, I brought this up in a class I was teaching a couple of weeks ago. I think it was with the Pentagon DOD and he sold data uh, information, sensitive data. And I think he earned some money and he's basically a gamer. And, you know, we thought about it. I'm thinking, I bet you if you were to interview that kid ahead of time, young man ahead of time and said, hey, that data that you're giving to that state sponsored entity is going to use be used to help GPS coordinations target and kill men and women that you've worked with. He would have never have done it. So oh. there's that disconnect. Uh, it's easy. Healthcare specifically. We are we are prime targets. We are we are low hanging fruit. We're by, very naive as an industry and in general. Um, and it's there to get. And our data is so valuable compared to financial data. Financial data has got a life cycle to it, right? It's a shelf life. We can get your money back. We can print money back. We can get you a credit card. We can fix your savings account, fix your chain account. All that's great. Coming in the healthcare sector, for me and some of my colleagues coming over here, it's like, wow, we get things wrong. Somebody can be harmed or die. And so it's, it's a whole different ballgame for us um, when it comes to that. I think I think there's a disconnect. And I'll let Errol kind of jump in what he's seeing from Health, I, Health ISAC. That's a great start, Michael. I definitely agree with everything you've said. And, and just to add to that, um, 
regarding you know the uh, the the code of ethics amongst the the bad guys, I, I think these these days I would say it's a myth. Especially you know if they try to portray that at all, I really do think it's a myth. I think it's I think they do that to try to keep um, governments and law enforcement uh, off their backs, so to speak, when it comes to uh, enforcing any criminal action against those groups because of where they may have attacked. But um, I truly think that, 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 again, when you look at the sophistication of these threat actor groups and what's happening when it comes to the distribution of the malware and the ransomware, they are a, they, they're a very sophisticated outfit. They have specialists in each category, everywhere from the people who are developing the ransomware and the malware, all the way through to people who are delivering that e those, those emails or figuring out how to get the malware on the end systems. And then the people that they hire use to figure out what they have access to now, once the malware is on those systems. And then the next people that will figure out the best way to monetize, uh, how, to, how to get money out of the uh, victims that uh, whose computers they have malware on and on and on and on. So they are very good at what they do. And I truly also believe that that they they will use from the targeting standpoint, they will use what I call the shotgun approach. They just uh, will take their malware and launch it and and, and, and scatter um, as, distribu as distributed as possible, as many millions of emails that they can get as possible. And then they will figure out what they have access to and um, and hope that they can monetize that. And the data that we have from Health ISAC, I think, really backs that up, where like in 2023, so last year, we tracked over 5,000 different ransomware events globally across all sectors. And only 8% of the ransomware victims were in the healthcare sector. Now, if, if you read the newspaper every day, you would think that <laughs> almost 100% of the ransomware victims were in healthcare. And, and that makes sense because when it happens to a hospital, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a tremendous impact well, patients potentially being diverted, surgeries being canceled and rescheduled, people being impacted. I mean, yeah, it's, it's newsworthy events. And it's, again, it's another human tragedy that's happening here and, and potentially even worse an impact to patient safety. So it is certainly newsworthy. But again, it's, it's you know, we're only seeing about 8% of those um, organizations in healthcare. And then just the last point I would make is the why. Why are hospitals so vulnerable? And I think ultimately it just comes down to the fact that a lot of those information security programs are under-resourced, not enough money, not enough people, not enough technology in place to really um, effectively protect those organizations. And I, I blame part of that um, on a 20, looking at the calendar here, 25 plus year history of um, the, the movement from manual healthcare records to electronic health records, the rise of HIPAA and privacy regulations in the US, for example, and the real drive for compliance with that, um, with those privacy regulations as opposed to security. There is mm -hmm. definitely a difference between being compliant and being secure. And I think that that the focus was really on the data privacy and compliance. Anything you want to add, Michael, before we move on to the next question? Oh, great points. And, you know, it's all culture, too. For just coming from the financial sectors and some other sectors, the healthcare culture is very naive at the board, top down. Right. So uh, board awareness. 
um, it, 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 how do you get there? Does a CISO, do they have a CISO? Does it, do they have a program, security yeah. program? Do they have a charter? Do they have policies and procedures? Are they all focused on, like Errol said, more of a compliance privacy structure, checking the boxes and, and compliance doesn't drive security and security doesn't drive compliance. So there's that, I, I think would be the biggest thing is that board awareness. And, and how do you change that culture for an, an entity that until recently hasn't had that big, big event happened to them, like financial sectors when the Twin Towers went down. There was major global financial sectors were impacted when those towers went down, and that forced a lot of disaster recovery, BCP concepts to be in place through through legislation. They tried that with HIPAA. They tried that with high tech. I've read those um, white papers and studies over and over and over again to get caught up. But it's just it hasn't put the teeth in. And now they're, we're hearing rumbles that through Congress, and they've been impacted, that they're going to do some things like almost it seems like the focus on sanctions and we're like time out the focus should be on incentives we don't yes. need to have a citation or a sanction on top of being a criminal a victim of crime right. remember that that'd be like going in your home and your home was burglarized and then the city sends you a ticket because you know you didn't you didn't secure your your house secured enough and so got to deal with both that's kind of how it feels with institutions we don't with healthcare we don't want we want assistance and collaboration with the government but man, please lean towards the incentives if this could get out to anybody and how you can reward us for our good behavior and help us get to where we need to go rather than punish us as a first stick waving around. Yeah, that's kind of scary. That's happening in a lot of sectors now. The SEC is also, you know, criminalizing CISOs who may not have secured their networks well enough, such as in the SolarWinds case. Um, so that's just the tip of the iceberg. I feel the same way that CISOs, all security leadership needs a lot more education, assistance from law enforcement, partnerships with law enforcement. We preached this for years, especially through the ISACs, Errol. And right. I thought we were going in the right direction, but now we've got the CISA, uh, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency really pushing for liability. We've got the SEC. We have the, the precedent set by the Joe Sullivan case. So there's a lot of things going on that are going the wrong direction, like you said, Michael. And uh, how can we leverage organizations like the ISAC to improve these relationships instead of basing them on let's beat them with the stick? Yeah, sorry, I'm getting paged. <laughs> so, like, let's make sure we're nothing going on here. Um, Ransomware. Yeah, Jenny Jen, Jen Easterly says that I'm a fan. It says I love what they're trying to do. We collaborate with them. I help at ISAC too. They're doing mm -hmm. wonderful work. Um, so I, it's really nice to see CISA kind of leading that centralized structure uh, with the government collaboration with healthcare. So we're a huge fan, and we're, and I think I think they'll sway. They listen to folks. It feels like, and try to try to run that narrative so it is incentive based. You know, is there things for critical structure or infrastructure? Like Carol said, some of us don't have large budgets. Some of us do. Some of us are more mature than other folks. Some of us are just starting out. Some of the colleagues that we see, and we we all try to help internally through things like Health ISAC and other users and community groups. But that that collaboration with CISA, I would say, in the last couple of years has been outstanding. What they're what they're trying to do. What well, would be nice to see that as be a funnel for can we qualify in private industry for any type of incentives or subsidiaries that could help us with our programs? That would be wonderful. Errol, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, I think what I would add is, um, 
you know, we also work closely with our partners at the Health Sector Coordinating Council. So a lot of the work that we're doing in terms of um, identifying opportunities to help influence policy or react to some of the policy decisions are being done through that group. And um, that sector coordinating council has uh, uh, hundreds of uh, institutional members and industry associations. You know, for example, the American Hospital Association, all of which have been, you know, very vocal about, um, you know, the the incentives issue with respect to minimum cyber security standards for health organizations, et cetera, and avoiding the um, the penalty uh, mindset when it comes to that. So try to work it through through those organizations as well. Good. Um, Michael, there's a, a lot going around right now about what you're speaking on, which is centralized governance for, quote, decentralized IT, starting with creating a cyber profile of your digital assets and online real estate. Can you give us the elevator pitch here and share how this practice may minimize attack surface risk and how to relay it to your board, because those are some areas we've had discussions about before that I've really admired about your uh, methodology. Yeah, so I'm going to keep a real super high level. So in the new world we're in, the cyberverse, we have two profile attacks, two things we can target as a hacker or criminal group, right? A human or an organization, that's it. And they both have a cyber profile, whether they understand that. It's very difficult for us as a human to even stand that we have a cyber profile and they manage it in our personal lives. You go to a company or an agency, it's even more so. So where I'm going is, they call it traditionally shadow IT. I'm like, no, it's more of understanding, defining your cyber profile as an institution, and then what it, what compensates that? Is there any controls and governance over it? So that's your, your threat surface, right? If you're not your attack surface, if you're not looking at all these oddball things, how are you really truly assessing your business risks? So uh, for me, it's 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 a, it's a long journey. I've been on this for about three years now, going up and talking about it. I'm putting some things together with colleagues around the planet. It's difficult. It needs to come top down. So at, I'm at a high level. It's like online banking, you know, social media accounts, uh, web ground background portals for HR. I mean, all these things are typically legacy. They're shadow outside of the IT realm. But in today's world, you know, you throw a hacker hat on, criminal criminal threat actor hat on. I'm going to go after the weakest things and, and you can cause chaos and emotional distress on your target just by going after their 401k administrator on the portal. You know, are they, are they allowed to access that portal outside the network? Oh, I'm at home. I got to do some stuff real quick. You know, there, there you go. You got a man in middle attack or something. Now I got access to some major companies uh, web portal access. So trying to go through that. So what I would say cyber profile. I'm working through that now. Um, we could share some information out soon. Um, but it's basically defining it, make sure it's defined, it's governed through a committee, right, that you have uh, in place. So it's sponsored and validated and supported. And then that brings down what direction you could do as a CISO or a CIO to be able to say, okay, where are our swim lanes? Do Are we accountable for social media? Are we accountable for online banking platforms? Are we accountable for other web portals that maybe are outside the visibility of the institution and how we want to handle that? In the event that something happens to them, I can guarantee you that the CIO or CISO is going to be pulled in that office with legal or compliance or incident response team. And they might go, I have no idea that uh, Johnny B, you know, 14 years ago, set up the Facebook page for the account for the company with only a username and password. There's no event management on there. There's no alerting. There's no, there's no inventory. There's no nothing. So 
that's what I'm talking about, cyber profile um, areas for the organization. It's a big can of worms. There's a lot to this. Uh, we're just kind of getting some awareness out that if you're not doing something about it, I know it's hard for our personal life, but the organization, somebody at the board level, executive leadership level should be taking that approach. Use your CISO, use your CIO, use your CTO, whoever you got as a champion and start to figure what that is. It's going to ruffle some feathers. There's going to be things that have been done forever. But I've been seeing this widespread with everybody, almost every colleague I'm talking to around the planet. Some of them will say, no, we got this solid. And then I ask a few pointed questions. We do a couple of things. We crawl around on OS and IT on the open internet. And they're like, okay, yeah, I guess we've got some of those similar issues. And these are huge companies. These are huge agencies. It's not just healthcare. So cyber profile for an organization needs to be fine, in my opinion. And it's something I think we're going to try to see. We're going to see that trend of awareness more in 2024 and 2025. Errol. Um, Advice, uh, where where do CISOs in healthcare orgs really need to start? Um, you know, if they haven't been paying attention to this or you know, burying their heads in the sand, hoping that this crime wave will just miss them. Uh, what is your advice? Yeah, I think as Michael said before, when we have these uh, threat updates uh, or threat trend stories, they, they never get better, right? It always gets worse. So um, yeah, in terms of uh, like other advice or resources that people can look at, um, obviously I'm a big proponent of information sharing, as you mentioned in my bio, um, uh, go way back to the beginning of uh, the FSISAC, Financial Services ISAC days when that program launched uh, since then. And so I've had a long history with the ISAC. But, you know, it's, it's not just about helping to protect your company through information sharing. There's just such a personal growth um, opportunity and a learning opportunity for the individual. I feel like as a, as a uh, participant, uh, when I was in the financial services sector, in an ISAC, I learned and grew so much professionally from that experience. So I'm a big proponent of that. So I encourage people to join your ISAC or your ISAC or other information sharing organization. Um, there's some really great resources from the Sector Coordinating Council. I mentioned it earlier. There's the Health Industry um, Cybersecurity Practices paper that was updated in 2023. That it, it's a really neat paper because it um, at first it talks about sort of the big threats against the sector. But then mm -hmm. there's two volumes in terms of controls that people can use to implement in their own environments. And there's one that's geared towards small and medium-sized businesses, and then one towards, towards large enterprises. So depending on the maturity of your company, um, hopefully one of those volumes is uh, really helpful in your own organization. And then finally, uh, HHS just released a uh, set of voluntary cybersecurity performance goals. That's sort of uh, fancy words around sort of minimum cybersecurity hygiene that's mm -hmm. been talked about for a long time. And uh, those are available on the uh, HHS website as well. And I think those do a good job in terms of setting out, setting out sort of the minimum things that people can do as far as examples. I would say in terms of like patching, backing up, using multi-factor authentication. I mean, there's very basic things like that that those documents outline. And it's also tied back to that health sector coordinating council um, paper that I mentioned on the controls. Great, and we'll be including some links to these things in our show notes uh, around the abstract for this show. Um, I know we talked, uh, touched on it just a tiny bit, but what, based on the trending data, do you anticipate to be the top threats of the healthcare uh, industry going through the end of this year? 
I know that Michael mentioned a little bit, um, but I'm thinking maybe we could just sort of add any two okay. cents. I'm get I'm guessing uh, deep fakes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was going to mention um, the use of generative AI by the threat actors. So we'll see more sophisticated attacks. They'll be harder to detect. They'll be more creative. They'll be in more languages, right? Because you know, one neat thing about AI is I can create a uh, perfectly uh, fluent uh, attack. Uh, email or even a deep fake of me speaking Spanish, uh, which I try to pretend to do. Um, but, you know, very convincing um, uh, scams using generative AI, for example. But I think the ransomware issue is going to continue to get uh, worse. Um, as long as people are paying ransoms, the ransomware actors will continue to launch those kinds of attacks. And it's not just the, uh, you know, the cyber the um the hacker, the the, uh, the the hacker in the hoodie working out of his basement that we're worried about. You know, we're also talking about sophisticated nation state actors also using cyber criminal means to uh, steal cash. And I can point to the North Koreans, for example, that have been doing this for years, uh, even using ransomware to um, to fuel their coffers so they have cash to spend to uh, buy and further develop nuclear weapons. So it's come full circle. Yep, I'd like to I'll jump in there too real quick. Um, supply chain, we're gonna see a lot more supply chain um, uh, incidents. We're already seeing them now, but it's gonna trend in the wrong direction, unfortunately. Two of those things is they're easy targets. Um, it's, it's our Achilles heel, right? We all depending on these things. So we're gonna see a lot more of that. Um, we're also gonna be aware of it more due to the SEC ruling and other regulations that are probably gonna follow that you have to have mandatory report. I think it's in four days that there's a uh, material losses involved for the stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So you're gonna see a lot more of that, we're already seeing it. Um, and then the advancements in the phishing, um, the gen AI capabilities, we're already seeing that now. Ransomware, unfortunately, is still trending the wrong way for healthcare. Um, and then I, I would just say uh, uh, the social engineering, we're already seeing it. It's happened so quickly over the past 10, 11 months due to uh, LLM models, ChatGPT, BARD, now it's called Gemini, uh, capable for uh, assisting the threat actors with those. Um, so I, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And then I, I would say at a, at a super high level, um, trending in the wrong traction for us for healthcare is going to be um, the difficulties with state-sponsored attacks, as Errol mentioned, with our cybersecurity insurance, we're, we're in negotiations about what does that mean? If it's a state-sponsored attack, are we going to have coverage? Um, uh, and I'm sure Errol is more aware of it, too, that we're having, you know, regular meetings now uh, with government entities where it used to be about fire, flood, earthquakes, physical uh, burglaries, this and that, you know, areas of for disaster recovery and BCP planning to provide patient care in the community for these things. Now it's all cyber. Almost every single conversation mm -hmm. is cyber. And so we'll see more of that. Knock on wood. Let's hope we don't have a major uh, attack on our critical infrastructure, but you know, it's an elevated position we are right now across the country. And I don't see that position going down. Wow. So complicated. So, you know, I used to be accused of hyperbole in the olden days as a journalist in this space in the 90s. And I'm like, look, everybody, things are way worse than I ever predicted. <laughs> I didn't expect social engineering to be so easily conducted now with deep fakes, you know, going back to the olden days when social engineering was pretty bad. Remember the I love you virus? Like, 
why would Ernst and Young send me a note saying, I love you, delete, you know, but now it's so much more sophisticated and so much more targeted. And this leaves uh, healthcare organizations in um, a lot of hurt. And of course, there's a lot of other things I'm sure that keep you guys up at night, but I really appreciate this high level discussion and hopefully this will be helpful to other CISOs in other verticals as well. And I wanna thank both of you for your time. We have a couple minutes left if either of you wanna add anything in closing remarks. I'll jump in real quick, Earl. We need more Jedi. So the CISOs, all these folks out there, whether you're in those roles now or aspiring to be in them, hang in there. You know, Darth Vader and the Emperor are scary, right? We're like the rebels. You know, they're, they're winning the battle after battle after battle. We will win the war. It's going to take some time. The attacker always has the advantage. That's the position we're in as defenders. Um, it will switch. Just the fundamental, we all understand the fundamentals of the internet and how fast this digital transformation that the, our human species is going through right now put us kind of behind the curveball for those folks that want to harm us. Uh, they have the advantage, but we will win. Uh, collaborate with your peers. Check out the user groups. Health ISAC is a wonderful group. Uh, Digital Director Networks, OnCon, ISMG, ISAC, InfraGuard, ISA, you know, reach out to them. User groups, fusion centers in your state. So we're starting to spin those up around the country. Check out your fusion centers to get your open source intelligence information for free. Uh, NSA just released some information this weekend that they're going to offer free programs to folks that have DOD contracts. So you'd be eligible to, for a lot of their pen testing, all types of risk assessments. CIS is doing that at no cost right now for critical infrastructure as well. So collaborate and uh, don't lose hope and just try to stay optimistic, right? Optimistic, but realist at the same time. Errol? Yeah, and just uh, you know, that's what Michael said. Uh, fantastic resources that that uh, Michael mentioned, um, and just to reiterate about the whole information sharing bug. I'll call it. You know, just just get involved and don't don't think that you might not necessarily have something to offer. The quick story I tell is when when I was at Citibank, which had a giant information security team. I remember getting uh, malware reverse engineering reports from this little tiny bank in upstate New York that I never heard of, thinking like, wow, this is incredible stuff. How is this, you know, how is this possible? And so, uh, you know, you never know what you have to offer. Everybody can learn from somebody else. And so I would say, you know, take a look at your ISACs, your ISAOs. Um, the National Council of ISACs is a good um, website to go check um, which ISACs are available. And then the isau.org uh, website is also another great one to look for other info sharing organizations. Great. Well, thank you both. And to our audience, thanks for tuning in. This is the third episode of our CISO series. Hope to see you on other shows. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the SciBeat Podcast with Deb Radcliffe, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this channel and ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.